0: Um, it's great to welcome you. My name is Jonty, and um, for having met you personally, but uh, welcome to Globe Church. We love to open God's Word and to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us from this Word. Let me read uh, Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. And settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why don't we pray? Let's ask God to help us, shall we? Let's ask that God would speak. Father, thank you for your amazing love. and Father, thank you for your amazing words. and we pray now that you'd give us alert minds and alert hearts that we would be captivated by what you say that you would convict us of guilt where we are wrong, and that you'd show us grace, show us mercy, show us more of Jesus, we pray. And we ask it in his name. Amen. And back in the 70s, uh, there was a famous song uh, that said, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. And if you want a kind of summary of what we're going to do um, this afternoon, I don't really want to take you by the hand, although metaphorically I'll take you by the hand. Um, I want to take you by the hand, and I want to lead you through the streets of Babel, through the streets of this city that's written off here. But I don't just want to take you to Babel. I then want to take you from Babel to another city. You see, you could summarize the whole story of the Bible, really, as the tale of two cities. It is a tale of the city of Babel, the city of man, the city of humanity, and the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of Zion. And those two cities run right the way through the pages of the Bible. And that's what we're going to try and do this afternoon. Unpick that a little bit uh, and try and understand what is going on. We've been working our way through um, Genesis. And just if you flip back to Genesis 9, uh, when when Noah came out of the ark... There's been a, a flood, everything's been destroyed, a, a kind of new creation has come into being. And God said to Noah, um, in chapter 9 verse 1, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That was God's mandate. that need to fill the earth, spread out, and fill the earth. That was God's design for humanity. And in chapter 10, this was last week, we saw that happening. The nations spread out. Across the earth, we saw lists of all these nations that went to the distant places, that went to the far-off places. And chapter 10, um, finished in chapter 10, verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. You say, well, that's lovely. Chapter 9, God said, spread out and fill the earth. Chapter 10, they spread out and fill the earth. Lovely. Chapter 11 says, whoa. Wait one second. It doesn't actually say with that. It says, wait one second. So you need to understand something about the spreading out of chapter 10. That Those of you who are kind of vaguely um, sticking with stuff will see that chapter 11, verse 1, says the whole world had one language. Chapter 10 says they've all got different languages. That must mean that Things aren't in chronological order. The writer of Genesis has put this together in such a way to say, look, God said spread out, the people spread out. But don't for a minute think that that is because of the people's obedience. There's something we need to understand in between that. So now we're going to find out what led to the spreading out of the people. That's what we're doing today. That's Babel. And I've got two um, simple Points today. Um, It's it's not really very difficult to follow. Um, The first one is um, that the sin of Babel is desperately wicked. Um, We're going to start by just examining Babel. I want to take you by the hand, lead you through the streets of Babel. I want to show you what was going on in Babel so that we can see how serious what was happening there. At first sight, you might read it and go, it doesn't sound that bad. I mean, they made a tower. But, you know, no. We need to really dig into this and understand it. So let's pick it up from chapter 11, verse 1, and it starts off quite. It starts off quite nice. The whole world had one language and a common common speech. What a beautiful picture! Unity, humanity, unity in common language, speaking together, traveling. Across the world would be easy because everyone would speak the same language. and you can, it's this, pure, this picture of language and, and this unity of humanity. You see, language is so much about culture, isn't it? And when there's this one language, there's this one culture. People understand each other. There's no confusion, no misunderstandings. People together, united. Tell me that's not what most people are, would love to see in our world. People are desperate for unity. If only human beings could come together and be united. Well, here they are, united. It's glorious, magnificent, beautiful, seems wonderful. There's a little clue in verse 2 that things aren't quite as good as they sound because the people are moving eastward. No oh, big deal. Well, eastward gives you the clue that they're moving away from God. You see, when God planted the Garden of Eden, he sent Adam and Eve out of the garden to the east. Then Cain moved eastward. And they keep moving eastward. They're moving away from God. Here is humanity. They're united. They speak one language, but they're heading away from God, not towards him. But then in verse 3, as they make this uh, plan, they find this nice bit of level ground, they start to have ideas, they start to be creative. They gathered together, got one language, and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. They're advancing. They're using creativity and ingenuity. It's often, isn't it, in cities that creativity thrives. Back in chapter 4, it's exactly the same. The first city ever was the city that Cain built. That was where music started. That was where technology started. Here it is again. As the people are gathered together with one language, creativity starts. They start to use their brains and their ideas, and they start to not just, oh, stone, go make a wall. Now they go, (laughs) now they go, oh, we could make something better. We could make clay and make a brick, then we could bake it in the sun, and then we could stick it together with something. This is humanity advancing. This is technology. This is creativity, ingenuity. And it all sounds good. It's what so many in our world are aspiring to. Humanity living in unity and using their ingenuity. It sounds great. But what does humanity do with their unity and ingenuity? What do they do with those two things? Well, verse 4 tells us. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Let us build ourselves. Let us build. Let us make. Sound familiar? you have anyone else in Genesis who said, let us make? Let us build. They're mimicking God. Back in Genesis chapter 1, when God first created humanity, he said, come, let us make man in our image. Now humanity takes the very word of God and says, no, let us make. We want to be the builders. We want to be the creators now. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. They want a city, and they want a tower. Not just any old tower. They want a tall tower. I mean, obviously, because that's what towers are. They want it to reach the heavens. They don't want some fiddling little tower. Why are they building a tower? What do they need a tower for? It's not like they're strapped for space. You know, in the city of London, right, you can imagine that sometimes it's sensible to build a tower. You get a lot more people in. But it's hardly like... You know, it's densely packed in. They're the first city. Oh man, we're really cramped. We're going to have to build up. People got all sorts of ideas about why they built a t- tower. Some people think they built a tower It's some kind of religious significance. That it was kind of some sort of trying to bridge the gap to heaven. I don't think that. I don't think the Bible says that. I think the Bible tells us why they made a tower. It tells us that in verse four, doesn't it? Let's build a tower so that we may make a name for ourselves. That's why they want a tower. They want a tower so that they look good. It's the first ever status symbol. You ever seen someone driving around in a gold-plated supercar around London? If you never have, there's a couple of weeks in summer when you go to around the Mayfair area and there are loads of them. Because they all get, all the kind of guys who own these things bring them all over and they drive around at 20 miles an hour. <laughs> in a, why would you ever need a gold plated car? Do you know the most expensive pair of trainers in the world? 2.7 million pounds for a pair of trainers. Why would you ever, that seems, why would you ever wear those? Well, you wouldn't ever wear them, would you? This is the first ever status symbol. This is the first ever attempt for humanity to say, hey, look at me. Look at our tower. Look how high it goes. Look how great we must be. The tower is them showing off. It's not about the usefulness of the tower. I doubt they did anything in it. It just stood there. Pointless, but pointing to themselves. humanity does this all the time. We find all sorts of ways to show off how great we are, even if it's completely pointless. Have you ever watched guys pulling trains with their teeth? Right? They have competitions to see who can pull the heaviest train with their teeth. That serves no useful function. At no point are we going to go, oh, power's out. Tell you what, it's all right. We'll get burnt. But come and pull it with your teeth, mate. We're never going to do that. And yet humanity has always had this obsession with who's the strongest, who's the fastest, who's the tallest, who's the richest. We want to make a name for ourselves. And that is what humanity does with unity and ingenuity. This common language and this creativity, they use it to point to themselves. In many ways, I don't think Babel was a particularly wicked... It doesn't say that there was a violent city. It doesn't say that there was terrible stuff going on there. In fact, it sounds like quite a nice place where they were getting on with each other and building a tower. But you have to understand that when humanity chooses to make a name for itself, it is deeply wicked. There is something deeply, deeply wrong. And that's what's happening in Babel. They want to make a name for themselves. And they want to make a name for themselves so that they will not be scattered over the face of the whole. Ah, you see now. God's plan was that they would spread out over the whole earth. In Babel, they're saying, no, we don't want to do that. We want to be gathered together. This is secure. We don't want to be scattered. We want to be in the place with the tower. I don't want to be away from the tower. Here is humanity. In defiance against God, in unity with one another, building this tower. And as we walk through the streets of Babel, we see a city that is obsessed with itself, obsessed with humanity. And this city of Babel is not just kind of, oh, that's a random little city, who cares about that? This becomes the prototype of a whole string of cities that come after Babel is the same root as Babylon. This becomes the, the, you follow through the story to the great city of Babylon. You know what happened in Babylon? Okay, just keep keep a finger in um, Genesis 11. Uh, go to Daniel chapter 4, just very quickly, let me just show you. This will make the point that nothing changed in Babel. Daniel chapter 4, uh, which is just after Ezekiel, uh, page 88. Eight, 8 or 889. Okay, so Babel, 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 turn into Babylon, uh, this great city. <laughs> At this point, there's a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what he says. He's not even subtle, all right? He's not even trying to dress it up or hide it in any way. So, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 28, 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not, not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Nice bloke. Do you see how it's not even It's not even subtle. And it just traces its roots right back to Babel. Is not this the tower that we have built by our power for the praise of our glory? They want to make a name for themselves. And that same desire lurks in every human heart since Babel. The desire to make a name for ourselves. We really care about our names, don't we? I don't know if you consider yourself to have an unusual name. You'll know if you have an unusual name because you'll have had that horrible experience as a child of going into a shop and going, How oh, can I get a keyring with my name on it? <laughs> and you stand and you flick through. You flick through all the names. And of course, yours isn't there. And it makes you feel like a nobody, doesn't it? I mean, how many jaunties are they ever going to sell? <laughs> There's not much call for it. Yeah. <laughs> But our name matters to us. And if someone gets your name wrong, it's so irritating, isn't it? If someone calls you by, your name matters. And actually in a more profound sense, all of us, our name matters hugely. We want to make a name for ourselves. It's almost like we're trying to build a little tower. We've all got like a little tower that we carry around with us. Our reputation, our name, what people think of us. And we desperately want our tower to be, To grow and to be impressive, we want to be known. We're we're name makers. And here are four things that I think name makers fear. See if any of these ring true. You ready? I'm trying to. I I, I want to try and dig down. I'm asking you. Do you see any of this in your heart? Because if you do, it may help you just to identify where we do this name making, this name building thing, just like that. Here are four things that name makers fear they, frame, they fear obscurity. Or we don't want to be scattered. I don't want to be a nobody. I don't want to be removed away from the place of action. That makes sense? I don't want people to not know my name. I think it's a big danger for us in a city like London, right? We, as city dwellers, we can be quite snobby about living in a city. Of course, we live in London. Oh, you live in Manchester. Mm. <laughs> it's nice. Manchester's nice, isn't it nice? That's the London thing to say, isn't it? Manchester's nice. It's quite small, but it's nice. And all the surveys that ever come out about the greatest city in the UK is never London. But of course it's London, right? And so we can be quite snobby about London. Um, and we like to think that this is where it all happens. And you know, some of us actually really love that. And we sort of hunger for that. And it gives us a sense of importance because we're Londoners. And the idea of being unknown is a big fear to us. The idea of being scattered away, to be out of the limelight, to be away from the action, is terrifying to us. For some people, that is going to be one of the biggest costs that you might be asked to make. I think this is true for... um, I, I don't even know... I don't know if Phil's here. Phil and Vicky are going off to Vietnam. So we're about to send Phil and Vicky to Vietnam. I think one of the biggest challenges they'll face is this. They're going to go to a place where it's not, it's not impressive. They, they could stay in London and, and be part of something big and exciting, but the, you get it? That's hard. We've got to watch ourselves in that. If we kind of fear obscurity, it's dangerous. Or maybe we fear criticism. We just want to talk to the people we agree with, that we, we like the people who like us, right? We all know the people who tell us what we want to hear. You have a conversation with the people that you agree with on Brexit so that you go, oh yes, aren't we right and everyone else is wrong? To be in, To be in a critical relationship where someone might criticize us is really a massive threat to us. Because every criticism that someone makes is like a cannonball smacking into our tower and chipping a bit off the top. Oh My, my tower, you damaged my tower. And so we go into damage limitation. We stop taking risks. We, we, we kind of hide ourselves away. We, we just protect ourselves from anyone ever being able to criticize us because we don't want to be harmed. Is, is that you? You hate being criticized. You fear it. Uh, I think name builders um, fear failure. The idea of failure is just a disaster, particularly if everyone knows. And some people are crippled by a fear of failure, crippled by the idea that it might all just fall apart and something go wrong. And name builders definitely fear rivals. They definitely fear someone else who comes along. Here I am with my little tower going along happily, walking down the streets, and suddenly I see someone who's got a bigger tower. And I hate it. And I can't rejoice. I can't celebrate the size of their tower. I can't celebrate how the things that they're successful in because it's damaging to me. And if you find yourself jealous of the success of others, it's an indication that you're a name builder. I've got to tell you that all four of those things are things that I struggle with. As I've prepared this this week, they've been like arrows to my heart. And it's made me see just how much I'm obsessed with my name. And it was wicked in Babel, and it's wicked today in my heart. And look at God's reaction, verse 5. We've got to see this. Look at God's reaction. Here they are making the name for themselves. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. Oh, it's funny, (laughs) right? What does God do? He comes down. He comes down to see their tower. Got it? We're building a tower. It's going to reach the heavens. God's in heaven. Oh, I think they're doing something down there. (laughs) Hang on. Let's go in for a closer look. Oh, yes, look. They've built a little tower. Oh, it's very sweet. There is a divine mockery in what God is saying here. The Lord came down to the city and the tower that the people were building. God is not impressed. There's not one human being who's ever lived who God has says, well, now you really are an impressive human being. Oh, except one. We'll get to him later. And we think, we go around saying, well, I think God actually must be quite pleased with me. Isn't God lucky to have me on his team? He's not impressed, right? He's the awesome Lord of heaven above. And so he says in verse 6, if as one people speak in the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God can see that humanity will just go on forever and ever, seeking to build and build a name for themselves. It will go on and on and on. And so God says, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to restrain that. I'm going to hold that back. I'm not just going to allow them to go on and on and on in their rebellion. So God says in verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stop building the city, and everything gets confused. Can you imagine that day when suddenly all their languages are confused? One day they're all just chatting away on the building site, building the wall, tower, whatever it is. Oh yes, did you see the football last night? Blah blah blah. Next day they come, and they're like, "What are you? I don't know, what are you talking? They've started to talk different languages." Can you see how suddenly divisions are going to erupt really quickly? Like, oh, well, I understand you. We've got... Great, well, I'll talk to you then. And suddenly, language becomes the great divide between people. And language, different languages, is God's means of restraining humanity from being as wicked as we could be. Because we speak different languages, we're not able to join together and unite in rebellion against God. Because now we're in opposition with one another. And languages causes chaos. And it still does, doesn't it? You've had, have you ever had an instruction manual that was written in a different language? Or, or translated into your language? I had a set of panpipes once. The instructions were hilarious. I lost them because I wish I'd kept it. It was very funny, but that kind of language just gets confusing. I don't understand now what people are saying to me. Does anyone here speak Esperanto? No. Okay, well, that was a good success. There was a guy who developed a language which everybody was going to speak, called Esperanto. It was um, it was his plan to bring world peace. If I can just get everybody to speak the same language, then we'll all be at peace. Can I tell you, that is a brilliant plan. He's absolutely right. He gets it. It's just you can't do it, as this room <laughs> demonstrates. It was quite a big thing in the 80s, quite a few people spoke in, but not anymore. And so there's this devastating judgment on the world. And it may seem to us that we go, well, i speaking different languages. That doesn't really seem that big a deal. Actually, it is. It breaks relationships. It breaks community. People are scattered all over the place. There's now war and violence and different cultures and racism and all stuff that's come about because of this judgment of God. And we may say, this doesn't sound like a very kind thing for God. To do. I thought God was about order, not about chaos. He's absolutely about order. But when humanity rebels against him, he does act to stop it. He acts to restrain what is wrong. And so the people are scattered. And If you've ever known the frustration of language differences, if you've ever felt that, you're beginning to feel something of the reality of the world that we live in. It's what name builders deserve. So that's Babel. Babel is the city. The city that sought to make a name for itself and the city that was judged by God. The city that was stopped from being built and the people were scattered all over. So that's my first big point. Uh, The sin of Babel is desperately wicked. The second point is slightly shorter. (laughs) Um, And that is this. The sin of Babel results in God's greater glory. And this, this is where it gets exciting. We've seen the wickedness of Babel and God's punishment on Babel. But now I want you to see that at the very same time, what God is doing is gaining glory for himself, greater glory for himself than he ever would have done if Babel had never happened. There's a whole load in the Bible of spectacular sins. And Babel is one of those kind of just spectacular moments of, of human rebellion against God. When we arrogantly say, my name, not yours. But through those spectacular sins, God is working to bring about his purpose. This is what we would call God's sovereignty. He isn't sitting in heaven going, oh, they don't love me. They, they, they're building a tower. And, and then why, why won't they love me? No, God is going to work through the sin, the spectacular sin of Babel, to gain greater glory for himself. You see, in the judgment of scattering the people all over the earth, what does God achieve? The purpose that He originally intended for humanity. That they would now be spread out through the earth. That God's image bearers would now go to the ends of the earth to carry His image to the ends of the earth. Yes, it's judgment on Babel, but it was always God's intention that they should spread to the ends of the earth. Do you see? God isn't fooled by this. God isn't kind of thwarted by this. And as the people are scattered to the ends of the earth, over the face of the whole earth, God is gaining greater glory for himself because from the ashes of Babel, God is going to create a new city. Against the backdrop of Babel, God is going to build a new city. A city of true unity. A city of true diversity. A city of true beauty. And if you just cast your eye over to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, look what God says to Abraham. We're going to see this a bit more next week. But God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So the very sin of Babel, which was trying to make a name for themselves, God says to Abraham, no, I'm going to make your name great. See, the name builders in the city of Babel are replaced by the name receivers in the city of God. The city that God is building where he says, no, I will make your name great. You don't have to build your name. I will do that. And through the pages of the Bible, we watch as God gathers a people, gathers a people into his city, the city of God, the city that God builds for his glory. A city not where people build a name for themselves, but where they worship, worship the God who made them. And we could trace this story right through, but we haven't got time to do all of it. I want to take you just to one place. And that's to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. And I want you to be, okay. If you've drifted off, come back for this, right? Because this is the bit I want you to do a bit of work, want you to think with me for a second about what's going on in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from um, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. This is much later in the story. Um, Jesus has come, he's died on a cross, he's risen again, um, he's returned to heaven. Look at chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Right, here's the point, okay? Here's what I want you to think about. Why is... That, what we've just read in Acts chapter 2, why is that better than when in Babel, before the judgment, they had one language? What is God doing here on this day of Pentecost as the, these Galileans speak? What do the people hear? They hear their own languages. I think that's quite Surprising. It isn't that they're all able to understand the one language that's being spoken. They hear their language. Do you see that miracle? And what we're being told is that God's great plan for his city is not that you would have one language, one speech. God's great plan for his city is that there would be a diversity of languages, a massive range of languages where we can understand one another, but we speak in our own language. Because God's plan, God's greater glory that he's achieved through Babel, is that his city will be a city of true diversity. A city made up of people from all over who have come to see that Jesus is king and who now speak the praise of God in their own language. And the city of God is the city that lasts forever. Babel, Babylon, London, the city of humanity, the city where we try to make a name for ourselves is heading for destruction. It will not stand. The city of God is the city that will last forever. And every single one of us today is either a member of the city of Babel or the city of God. All of us is either living to make a name for ourselves or is living saying, I want to make a name for Jesus. I want his name to be great. Every single one of us in this room is living in one of those two cities. And you may be sitting here saying, "Well, I I know that I want to make a name for myself. I know that I do that. I get that wrong. If you see that, then you will understand why it was that Jesus had to come and die. Because Jesus died on a cross for all the times I've made a name for myself. Jesus died on a cross to rescue me from the name-making Babel and to bring me into the kingdom, the city of God. Where now I live my life no longer to make a name for myself, but to make a name for Jesus. I no longer live to build my tower, I now live to worship God. It's no longer about my name, it's all about him. And if I'm obscure, it doesn't matter as long as his name is great. And if I fail, it doesn't matter because Jesus has forgiven me. And if you criticize me, it doesn't matter because he approves of me. And if you are more impressive than me, it doesn't matter, because he loves me. It is the most liberating place to live, as I recognize that I no longer have to make a name for myself. Now, let me just land this um, practically, I hope. Because it may be that some of you are studying architecture or engineering. Maybe some of you right now are designing a tower, You need to stop that. (laughs) (laughs) Or it may be that some of you are in the creative arts. It may be that some of you are seeking a career where you may end up with your name in lights. What do you do with that? Is it ever appropriate? Suddenly we begin to think, when you begin to push it practically, you say... what, am I just making a name for myself? Am I ever allowed to try and progress in my career? Am I allowed to publish a book and put my name on the front, or do I have to do it anonymously? When I'm an actor, do I have to put a bag over my head so no one can see who I am? Do I only have to build bungalows? I mean, what are we doing, right? What's the... What's... Okay, here's the thing. The problem in Babel was not that they built a tower, it was why they built the tower. The problem in Babel was that they were obsessed with themselves. And I want to say to you that for, that is in your heart. And if you become a successful actor, musician, architect, lawyer, doctor, teacher, if you become successful, you will feel massive pressure to be smug and proud of yourself. Fight it with all your heart fight it by looking to Jesus by seeing Jesus as the one who died for you and that sets you free to go to your audition and to build your talent to do your stuff and to say it doesn't matter that's not where my identity lies imagine you could go to an audition imagine you're a musician you could go to an audition and all the people are sitting outside their entire value depends on what the audition goes and you walk in saying it doesn't matter Because God's given me this gift and I will use it for his glory. And I will play my trombone to the very best of my ability. And as I play my trombone, if people want to listen to it, great. But I'm a member of the city of God. And my citizenship is there. And therefore I will build for his glory. And I will think about how I play my trombone to bring glory to Jesus, not to bring glory to me. I'll think about how I act to bring glory to Jesus, not glory to me. i think how I build buildings and how I stitch people up on the surgery table in order to bring glory to Jesus, not to bring glory to me. We've got to, work, we've got to fight this. It is a poisonous cancer in our culture that we all want to make a name for ourselves. We're all desperately running like hamsters on a little wheel, desperately trying to make a name for ourselves until we drop dead. And Jesus says, do you trust me? I'll give you a name. I'll give you a new name. I'll give you a name that lasts forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We're sorry. We're sorry for the times when we do exactly what they did in Babel. We're sorry for the times when we try to build our tower. When We don't want to be scattered. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be prominent. We want to be seen. Father, we pray that you would humble us. But not just that you'd humble us, but you'd help us to see there's a better name. There's a better tower to build. There's a better worship. There's a better glory to pursue There's a better city to live in. Father, this afternoon, would you call us to live in the city of God and to delight to be there and to live in this city of London as citizens of your city, that we'd be different, that we'd stand out, we'd shine in our workplaces because we're not like others. Oh, Father, forgive us. We get it wrong so often. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.